and welcome to the Temple of Bleh, episode AB. So this is another History of Roadrunner Records uh, interview. It's one that was included in the documentary, the Chapter 1 documentary. It's with Dave King of Battleaxe. Now, this one's just fucking brilliant. This was a really laid-back conversation with another... It's a Northerner special. It's a Northern UK special. Uh, I'm having a drink. Dave's having a drink. We're going through pretty much everything to do with Battleaxe, the history of the band, its resurgence in the last few years, and obviously... Uh, focusing on those roadrunner years in the early days. There's loads of stuff in this one. It's a right laugh, but you're going to have to be a bit patient because there's quite a lot of technical issues in this one, mostly down to the latency between my PC and, and Dave's PC. Um, it's nothing we can't suffer through. You should know me by this point. It's about the quality of the conversation and the dialogue and less about the quality of the sound. Uh, and, you know, we're just stuck with it. Nothing we can do about it. But I hope you really enjoy this. Dave King of Battleaxe. One, two, fuck it up. to you all. Yeah, cheers, fella. Happy New Year. Um, big up, big up, All right, let's... So, I, I, what I want to do, I want to okay, start then. off with is... Um, usually, a lot of people do, like, the interviews, and at the end, they go, what do you want to plug and all that shit? But I think we should open it up, like, let your fans, when they see this, they get the actual, the stuff you want to say straight out the door. So, I'm going to try and summarise the history of Battle Axe in, in as few words as possible, and you can tell me what's been going on the last six months. Because I did reach out, I think yeah. it was about six months ago for this, um, but I think it was on an old email, like on the Facebook, well, it's something that wasn't monitored, but now everything's changed. I know you've got management now, you've got a person that you go through, but let me just try and let me try and get the synopsis up. So you formed in 1979, yeah. you had two, two albums with Roadrunner in A384, um, Burn This Town and Power of the Universe. Um, there was a third unreleased album, um, you reunited in 1994 for a year. I don't know if it was for one gig or what. Um, and then there's a yeah. reunion in earnest in 2010, which resulted in yeah. um, Heavy Metal Sanctuary 2013 on Steam Hammer. And now, now in the last six months, things have picked up again in terms of, uh, I believe it's Rick, is it, your manager who stepped in? Yeah, Rick starts, yeah. And then a new release, a new release when we're sitting on our asses, a new release again of Power from the Universe on tw- on vinyl, you know, a very special, special edition. So and so that kept us pulling us a bit, you know. So, uh, and, and that's, yeah, up to now, Rick starts, uh, uh, SPB joining Napalm Records, a new release on vinyl, special edition, our 40th anniversary this year, you know, okay. and a new album coming out. A new album coming out for definite, which probably be October, November, but it was definitely going to be coming out called Resonator, you know. So and so that's it. And, and then with a the new management deal, we're on our way to coming up out of off the off the sec, out of out of the third division into the second division, should I say, in football <laughs> terms, you know. <laughs> Maybe it's the fourth division into the third, but <laughs> Jim, maybe it's the fourth into the third, but the third into the second sound. <laughs> Hey, it's good shit though, man. Because one thing I've I've seen when I've been looking back, especially with the Roadrunner um, bands from that time, it's always active 1981 and 1988, and then everything's dead, and then everyone reunites in the 21st century. And I'm quite intrigued as to why. So why? What made you think let's fucking get back to it, boys, in in 2010? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what happened is uh, we finished in 1995. There was nothing happening, as you, and if you recall in your history books, because you're too young at the moment to realise what happened. Then you're only a kid. <laughs> uh, grunge, grunge, and 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 what we called hair metal came across from the United States, 
and everybody was interested in that kind of music, you know, mm. uh, um, which was which was like um, all of the hair bands, you know, and, and 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 the guys that looked like like women dressed up in, in rock clothes, you know, it was, it was a horrible t- situation for us. Yeah, and we were. We we were the, we were sort of uh, stuck still in heavy rock, mm. right? You know, heavy rock on the edge of heavy metal. And at that time, heavy metal was starting to become big. The new wave of British heavy metal, which wasn't mentioned then, we didn't know nothing about new wave of British heavy metal. Then mm. it was a it was a uh, a phrase. It was a phrase that was brought by one of the uh, Kerrang magazine guys, you know, mm. Je- uh, Jeff Barton, I think it was, who brought that saying out. He he created that. Uh, that era. And so what happened is, uh, in 1995, our drummer, Ian McCormack, fantastic drummer, uh, decided to call it a day, you know, and said, look, Dave, I've had enough. And, and he left the band. Right. And we just gave up about 1998. We gave up and we just, we never saw each other for 15 years. The band, right. I never saw my bass player. So 15 years flew past. And in 2008, 2009, I was walking down the street with my new partner and I, got, I bumped into a very old friend of mine from the, from the Newcastle Mayfair days, you know, this was like the heavy rock. This is when heavy rock was going strong. We had, we had the Mayfair here. You had the Nottingham Palais down in Nottingham, if you, can, if you ever remember that. It was a massive club for heavy, heavy rock nights, you know, it was brilliant. Mm. People used to travel from Newcastle to Nottingham and vice versa to, for this heavy rock night on a Friday and Saturday night, you know. Right. And I met an old friend of mine, uh, Marty, and, and he said to me, D- have you seen what's happening to Battleax? And I said, what are you talking about? We've been finished for 15 years. He said, no, you're all over the internet. So basically what happened is, we, when we broke up, there was no internet, you see. And mm. I, we, we didn't even have a website or anything, and I just forgot about Battleax. Um, I was writing my own stuff, very, very sort of, uh, you know, easy listening stuff with a bit of rock in it. So, and, and I said to him, I've never heard anything of it. He said, well, get on the internet and just, just type in Battleax. So I, I typed in my band and there behold is a website up to dedicate the website from two guys in Sweden to Battleax. And there was photographs there and, uh, and blogs that I've never even seen in my life from two young guys at the time they were only 17, 16, 17 from Sweden who set up, set up a blog for Battleaxe. I was honestly, I was crying, Jim. I was, the emotions were just, how could anybody do this? No, I thought we were just forgotten about. And anyway, I got in touch with them and thanked them very much about it and sent them some albums and stuff. And we, we're still friends today. And, uh, and then I decided myself, on my own, I decided to set up a website for Battleaxe, heavy metal band. And that's how we kicked off again in 2008. Right. Now that website gained us three, 300,000 hits. Can you believe this? Sorry, 300,000 fans yeah. coming in asking where Battleaxe, this is from all over the world. We, we, I was unbel- it was unbelievable. And we had no material out. So what I did... Uh, on my own, on my own accord, because the lads weren't with me, I I re-released, I re-released "Burn This Town" mm-hmm. and "Power from the Universe" on my own label, Sound King Entertains, as a, just a promotional CD. Mm. That was the first time that we were on CD from ourselves, you know. Although those CDs came out from Roadrunner, we'd released we'd released the two CDs on our own label, and to top that. 
I, I found some old demo tapes, which some we'd done in Neat Studios a while back, and some that we'd had done ourselves in our own studio, and I created a CD EP called Nightmare Zone, and that helped plug, right. you know, a little bit extra. So they, they came out, and I was selling, I, I printed a 1,000 copies of each album, and I'd sold them within three months to German companies, um, just to, to sell on, you know, I was, I was the whole selling them a wholesale for five pound a piece, and they were selling them for nine pound, ten pound, whatever. Sure, yeah. And they were all gone, you know. So that, that helped us put some money back into the band. And then Paul, Paul, our ex drummer, our ex drummer now, Paul was our second drummer after Ian McCormack came and said, Look, the band's doing well all over the world. Let's get back together again and do a gig. So, Headbangers Open Air Festival in Germany was always asking us, a guy called Jürgen, Jürgen Hedgewald, he was always asking us to do some gigs in Germany. We said we'd go down a bomb, come to my festival. So, eventually, we went to his festival and wore betide, went down a storm. And, uh, it, it, and, and then we got, we got back together again and wrote uh, Heavy Metal Sanctuary. So, it's, it's an amazing story, really, come back, you know. It is, mate. It took, it took the toll on us. It, it's... It's good because I'm 31, yeah, so I'm coming out of, like, the cynical metal FS entering sort of, like, dad zone. So it's reassuring to me to see a bunch of, and I'm not going to presume your age, but it's all the lads just getting back and fucking cracking on with it, you know what I mean? And so it, it just, because well, there's a bunch of people in my age who are like, I'm going to hang it up, man. I'm not going to bother. I'm not. I'm going to get the job and yeah. sit down. And I was like, that's totally cool, but you can't forget, you can't stop putting your ear to the ground and listening to metal. And some of them have. And that, it's good to know that it's not something that's like, it's not like a natural attrition. People who are lifers in metal just are lifers. And it's just the way it fucking is. That's it's the beauty of it. metal. It's going to go on forever. That Everybody loves it and, you know, that's into it and, and they can't get out of it. And it's, it's like what Rob Alford said. We're like a family, you know, mm. everybody knows everybody and what's going on. And, uh, and if you're well liked, you know, you, you obviously you get more people looking at you, but we liked enough to have like an underground base of fans, you know, around yeah. the world and the keepers going, you know, and the emails we get from them is phenomenal, you know, and it's, it's wonderful, really. If we were in a pop band or something, we'd have finished five years ago, but this heavy metal has allowed us to, to think about sitting at 63 and Brian, 64 years old, you know, we were about ready to cash our pensions in. And uh, we're, we're still thinking about a new album and another album on the way, which we've already written between albums. So we've got to have five albums out, possibly 2022, 23, you know, which will be yeah. fantastic for us. It's so cool, though, know. because it's like you're saying, like, metal's a family and things like that, but there's also, it evolves in, in so many ways and so quickly. There's so many different niches that it doesn't get old. I mean... Going, not moving. I don't want to move straight onto the roadrunner stuff, but just like in my reading, Satan, Spartan Warrior, Dark Art, Battle Axe, all these bands are like still together and they've come back in the last few years. So it's like there's a new wave of British heavy metal, right? But now we've got the digital age and we've got like, you know, actual sound engineering as a fucking degree. So people know how to make things sound good. So now all these bands are coming back and applying the same kind of logic they did 40 years ago to the modern sound. So really there's the new wave of British heavy metal, but there's also the newer, there's a newer wave of British heavy metal, which is stuff like what you're doing on, like with every metal sanctuary, it's the same kind of ingredients, but it just sounds fucking shit off. I don't have to wait until Wacken open air festival to hear the actual kick drum knocking my fucking chest in. I could just put it on now. That's right. You know what I mean? We've, we've always got that, yeah. Yeah, so I think it, it'll be resonant. Like, 
forever. And like I say, it's just reassuring to me to know that it's not going to get boring and it's not going to be like, I'm not going to turn 40 and then roll out of bed and go, actually, fuck it. I might just stick on some fucking Barry Manilow or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, it's like me as well. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some great music out there. There's some, there is there is some fantastic new musicians coming up now. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, we, we, we've been, you know, our history is logged, you know. We've, we, we, we kicked off when when in the 19, 1980s, you know, and we, we didn't know where we were going. We, we knew nothing about new wave of British heavy metal then, you know, mm. and that we'd be a part of that. Uh, and uh, it, that that's that that on top of the album releases has just kept us going now, and we're even we're even now getting requests for the next album, you know, which should have been out last year, but we've had all of this shit. And um, uh, plus the fact the year before that, uh, Mick Percy, our guitarist, had a major heart operation, so that knocked us off for a year, and he's lucky mm. to be alive. But we managed to get through that. So <laughs> amongst everything, all we need now is a third world war, you know, on top of this, and then we but we'll still be there. <laughs> Especially with Chopper yeah. Attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, though, your new drummer, um, or is it Mauricio? Is that how you pronounce his name? Mauricio. Mauricio. He's, Mauricio been, he's been about, he, hasn't he? Chamacero. Ex Blaze Bailey, ex Dragon Force. Well yeah. Yeah, and now he's with us now, and he loves the band, and he's he comes up regular to rehearse with us. Uh, unfortunately, the last six months, he hasn't, but. Uh, but, um, is what it is. Yeah, what had happened is with Mauricio, um, we didn't get on with the last drummer and it's just not see eye to eye whatsoever. We were walking on eggshells every time we were with him. Bless him, he's a great lad, but we just couldn't get on. And eventually we had to see eye to eye and we actually, we actually had said, look, we can't go on any longer. So we had to let him go and have a drummer. Now, heavy metal drummers, right, Jim, they're like gold. You know, once they're stuck with a band, once they're stuck with their own band, they're loyal to their own band, and you might get them for mm. an hour or so, so to do a gig or something, but they won't come and join you. And we were trying and trying to find a new local heavy metal drummer, but the nearest we could get was uh, the drummer out of Chris Sandinari's. Have you heard of the guy, the producer, Chris Sandinari's, who produced uh, Thin Lizzy? And, Rings and, a bell, and, but... And, and he also produced... Oh, right, OK. He also produced Killer... Painkiller. We went and seen him awesome. to, to produce. Yeah, we met. We met him down in uh, in Gravesend somewhere down in Kent somewhere, and uh, bless the bloke. And we asked if he'd produce our third album, which is this one, Resonator, right? And he said, well, we didn't have a name for it then. And he said, no problem. Let's get on with it. And I'll I'll speak to your record company and try and get a bigger budget for us, and we'll do it. More be tied. Four months mm. later, or five months later, he dropped down dead. We had attack, you know, so we lost our producer and we didn't know where to go. But luckily for us, he didn't reduce us to this guy uh, called Stevie Ricks, who was drumming for him. And we uh, we, we asked him if mm. he'd come and drum for us, which he did for a number of gigs. Bless him. And he's a great, great drummer. He's still there, our friend. But he had to leave. So we needed to find a local drummer. Yeah. He's from yeah. a, great, a great background behind him, you know. And he's, 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 he's great. Definitely. Um, Let's talk about, so since Every Metal Sanctuary, it's been, what, nearly 10 years since that album. Um, did things, like, slow down a bit, and that's what brought Rick into the fold? Because Steam Hammer must have been just knocking on your heads every every six months, saying, come on, are you going to churn out another album or what? So take take me up to the modern day. No, no funny thing is, 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, heavy Metal Sanctuary was released in 2014. How many years is that? It's, 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 yeah, it's, in 2014, Heavy Metal Sanctuary was released. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, before that, um, uh, let me think now. Uh, Roadrunner, we're expecting another album, another two albums, actually. We signed a five-album deal with Roadrunner. And hey, do you, do you want to know something about my, our manager, which was my father at the time, managed to get Fing Grand out of Roadrunner to record Power from the Universe, which was unknown at that time from a local band, you know, 15 grand. And, yeah. and uh, we managed to get Tony, Will, Tony Wilson from Radio One produced our album for us uh, with, with, with a guy called Guy Bidman who enge- engineered it. But mm-hmm. after Roadrunner started not doing a thing for us, and, then, and remember the release. Burn this town right on the cover. The worst cover it's got the, the cover got voted the worst cover in the world, you know, the Burn Town cover. It got criticized and ridiculed. And after that, we didn't trust Roadrunner, you see. So after Power from the Universe, we were reluctant to give them another album. <laughs> so we never bothered after we never bothered. The contract ended in 1995. The contract from 90, sorry, contract with Roadrunner was from 1992. To nineteen to, to nineteen ninety three. That's right. Well, eighty two to nineteen eighty two to nineteen eighty three. It was a con- yeah yeah. It was a it was a ten year contract. By the time we decided to get another album, the contract was over, and we got all of our rights back. You know, all the all the publishing, all of the uh, copyright, uh, and everything came back to us. Hence, that's why I released them albums on, on my old label, you see, as just as a publicised yeah. uh, item to keep Batlax's yeah. name going, you know. Yeah. But it, it wasn't released properly until we signed to SPV, you see. That's how it worked. How's it been for SPV then since about 2010? Have they been pretty cooperative? They've been sort of letting you crack on? Yeah, the very first one we do what we want. Uh, they've also, um, they also gave us one of the most what's a uh, right-sided contract to them, you know, they, we, we, we've got no, with no way to move. We, we, it was like 1% for the downloads and 1% for the album, sorry, and, and, and five pence for a download. That's between the band. And, and they've done exactly what Roadrunner did. They gave us a licensing deal. So they get the albums and all the material offers, give us a few quid up front for the production and the artwork. After that, we've had nothing, you know, just a couple of hundred pound. It's but it's a very strict contract, but for them, it's a it's a it's a con, you know. But at the same time, our music has gone everywhere around the world. You know, we could we can justify that because it's amazing, you know. We're all right. over the so world. So they've been doing now, right by you, by yeah. In the long run, they have been doing right by you, and they're keeping you busy, which selling the important. albums, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's important. So the the money the money aspect doesn't really well. It does because we're absolutely broke. You know, the, as a band, we're broke. We always have to chip in our own money to do anything. But as as an artist, it, it, we only like our music. Our music, as long as our music's get listened to around the world, that's all that matters to us at the moment. You know, and it, this is and then that goes. And Ollie's such a great guy. But um, but we we've asked him to help us with other things. There's no there's no help coming forth with like tours or anything like that. We have to mm-hmm. do it ourselves, you know. Um, so that's hence that's why with all that's going and the amount of fans that we've got on Facebook and and all the other uh, multimedia, I decided that we needed a manager to help us out here. So hence Rick Stats came in, you know. 
and, and decided to manage. And, be, and before we knew it, we've got a gig in Paris and, and, and a tour coming up, you know, which is great. Really That's awesome. What's awesome. well, is, is he is he of this ilk then? Is he of the metal background or is he just an? I'm speaking. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, he, if he, he can he, speak he, for he, him. Yeah. Well, I don't know the name of his bands that he was in, but he was in a heavy metal band and heavy rock band when he was younger. And, that, and, that, and he's like he's, he's he's older than me now. I think he's like in his 65, 66. But he's decided to manage, and he's got a number of bands in his books. And I got a call off him, you know, out the blue and said, look, hey, if you need to give us a shout. And that's what happened, you know. And um, right. uh, we asked, we said we needed a manager. And he says, I'll do it for you. And so he's just come on board and he's now working very hard, not just for us, but for his other bands to get to us when all of the COVID situation's gone down, you know. Yeah. So working on the new album and hopefully we can coincide two together, you know, with a tour and that album. You know, uh, which will be which will be really fantastic. You know, and I can't wait to till the COVID dies down, so that venues that's been allowed to the, the, the venues that survived through all of this shit mm. can start getting the bands back in. You know, and we can all go and see live concerts again, what? which is really what Batlax is all about. You know, one thing we should do, mate. I'm not going to make any commitments, but what we should do is we should get that, that those that Guardian Four, get yourself Dark Arts Satan. Um, and Spartan Warrior, and we should just do a gig up northeast, man. We can call it the Ghost of well, Roadrunner's Past. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, Jim, I don't think some would do that because they're, they're a lot, they're a lot more publicised than us. They've done, they've, they've been a lot further than us at the moment. They've got more albums out, but they're a different genre of heavy metal. You see, they're like a more of a death a death fast speed metal whereas we are more of a rock speed metal you know mm. but we would complement each other if somebody decided to get the bands together uh, well hey what am I talking about Satan were on the same um, festival as us uh, Bloodstock yeah. they were on the they were on the next day but we were on the day before that so they did they did appear on the same festival as us but they only live up the road five, five miles and we've never we never even speak to them you know it's a weird situation I tell you, there's a band that we are very good friends with, and that's Avenger. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a band called Avenger, you know, from the new wave of British heavy metal, and we're, we're very good friends with them, and they have no qualms, you know. And it, it's just a case of that. Uh, I'd love to go on tour with them, guys. You know? But uh, oh, you never know what's going to happen at the moment. Avenger, Avenger, yeah. Avenger. I'm just looking for. If I look over on this screen, it's because I'm just. I've got my notes and stuff up, and and and. Um, it's, I know they came out on Neat. You know how I know that. Yeah, they did. I just got the story of Neat come through the other day. Um, wow, that looks great. Who wrote that? A guy called John Tucker. It's not, you know what? It's full. Oh. It's full. It's like... It's it's interesting because it's written almost as a textbook, but from like a fan's perspective. Yeah. So he'll say like, you know, stuff like, anyway, yeah. this album came out and it was shit, but that's not the point. It's about neat record. But he's, he's done his, his own work. He's got a lot of sources here, a lot of like um, first-hand interviews, but I'm sort of looking at this as, because I'm doing kind of the same thing for Roadrunner. I'm like looking at this going, this guy kind of knew what he was doing in terms of data collection. So, oh, have you met him? I've not. Tell me about him. I've known nothing about John, him. John, John. He's a great bloke. He's got a, a merchandise, big merchandise shop. You know, he's always at festivals. 
and he, he's a he's a reporter writer for other magazines and stuff, you know. And he's wrote a number of books, and he's great. We've asked him kindly to come up and do an interview with us on this new album, and he's agreed to come to come and do as soon as we're ready, you know. And the album's in the can. Mm-hmm. Um, he's agreed to come up and stay with us for a day, you know, while we uh, show him the songs that we've written and do a uh, like a, a blog on this album and do a, a, a little story about us with his, with his name on, you know, which is great news. Yeah. Uh, but that was a year ago now before the COVID, you see, things could have changed, but we've, he's, yeah, he's agreed in principle, so that should still stand. And yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the, the story with John, and I'll have, to, I'll have to dig him about this, we were at a festival at Brofest uh, in Newcastle, and he came up to me and said, do you think you might be able to sign this book? And I said, yeah, no problem, John. And so I signed the book, which was written about Brofest and had photographs in of all of us. And then he said, do you want to buy a copy for 15 bid? <laughs> awesome. So, so I said to John, John, I haven't even got 15 fucking quid on me. I'm skinned, you know. And so he's, he's getting the bands. He's writing about all the bands, signing, the, signing them personally, and then asking you for 15 quid for the book. <laughs> That's, that's heavy metal, you know, you don't even get a free boom that you're in. <laughs> and was uh, Avenger, was that a Roadrunner one, or was that a, um, a neat one? I can't no, tell. A neat one, yeah. You've got you've got Avenger from uh, 1982, I think it was. Uh, the Blood Sports came out in, four, in 84, yeah. It's yeah. just that it's sometimes yeah, like, yeah. this doesn't tell you a great deal. So the first LP that goes out in Europe was Roadrunner. But obviously, Neat was taking care of the UK, yeah. and usually there's a little clue. It'll say phonographic copyright owned by Neat or Rodron, and that'll tell me who they were signed yeah. to. Um, but yeah, no, yeah. that's interesting. That yeah, it's all that stuff in the northeast, yeah. man. But uh, anyway, that's that's obviously what John. Do you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Another thing as well, I was just thinking about that last night in my thoughts. Uh, uh, the northeast is a breeding breeding pot for heavy metal bands. You know, I mean, you've got Venom. You know, you just the massive around the world. Nobody even knows who they are in Newcastle unless they put. You know, there's a very few people. You went and said to somebody, "Do you know who Venom are?" Why no, I don't know who they are. But obviously, if you spoke to somebody in heavy metal and rock, they'd know. But you've got Venom, who is huge around the world. You've got Raven, you know. Yeah. You've got Avenger. You've got Battleaxe. You've got Satan. And God knows, without the bands I haven't mentioned, but God bless you know, I can't remember them all. There's that many, and between. Between Middlesbrough and Newcastle, there's a huge amount of heavy metal bands, and nobody gives a fuck in the northeast. We don't. You don't get no preferences. You don't get any festivals. You don't get mentioned. That the Chronicle, which is the main newspaper, hardly does any stories. It's like as if you've forgotten about. You know, then when you go to Germany and step out of the car, everybody's after your autograph. <laughs> you come back to Newcastle. No. <laughs> Thank you, oh, Jim, it's so funny. It's good, Jim, it? there was a festival. There, Jim, there was. A, I've got to tell you this little story, Jim. There was a festival in Newcastle, which two, two very brave guys took the plunge and decided to plough a lot of money into opening up this festival called Brofest. Yeah. It's been quite a good success, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how we all got together again, and that's how we met John Tucker. And... Uh, that one of the one of the pre warm up gigs was it was at this pub called the Star in Newcastle, so I decided to I asked the guys if they wanted to go and they didn't want to go because they're not big drinkers are outright. So I went me on my own. So I put all my heavy metal gear on and went down the Star, and I went into this Newcastle pub, right, 
and I was I was flocked by fans coming out. They all come. So there's Dave King from Battleaxe, right? They all flocked to me, asking me for my autograph and how are you doing and buying us a pint. I couldn't take it in. I nearly started crying. I was overwhelmed, man. <laughs> the next day, I went. I was going down to Leeds and I popped in the pub right at the same time. And the next day, there wasn't a fucking soul even said hello to me. <laughs> <laughs> I could go in that pub at any time and there's not a soul would knew, knew who I was. And then when Brofest was on and people came from all over the world and Europe to, to, to watch the festival, they all knew who I was. And it, was, <laughs> it, was it was surreal. I didn't know how to take it, you know. Oh, that's the story. That's the oh, story God. of metal, though, isn't it? That's what... It is. It's a, such a niche. It's on the fringe, man. It's on the fringe. <laughs> so let's let's it's do it, scary. man. Let's jump. Let's talk about. Do you need a top yeah. up? I might. I might get a top up. Yeah. Right, yeah, let's top do a, re- a recess. <laughs> right. Let's jump into the roadrunner stuff. So I, I've made. Yeah. A sort of bit I want to get into, and the sort of the dots I'm trying to connect, which is because Case isn't a metal head, yeah. he is an opera guy. So how did he establish a network of metal? You know, how do you establish a network of people to sort of give him bands? And obviously you alluded to it through Terry uh, Gavigan. Let's start from the start. Um, yeah. My observations uh, of what I'm referring to as the Guardian 4, being yourself, Satan, Spartan Warrior, uh, and Dark Heart, it seemed to yeah. be Guardian provided something which Neat couldn't, which was either recording possibilities, a record contract, or some kind of infrastructure where Neat fell down because everyone was applying to Neat, right? Everyone was going to Neat for a record contract. Um, and Neat didn't... That's right. Neat, 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 yeah. Neat had the record company with his studio, you see. Exactly. Guardian didn't. He had a label, but he had a studio where he had to pay, you know. He didn't offer you a record deal or anything like that. So my understanding is when... In some of the cases, I know it's the case with Satan, when Neat turned them down, they just self-financed and went through Guardian. And Guardian end up yeah. basically signing them de facto because they used the studio and saying, and Terry saying, right, I've, I've, I'm going to take a managerial role. And that obviously has a connection with Case. So the question I'm going to ask you, and you can go any way around this you want, yeah. is how did Battle yeah. come to Roadrunner's attention? Yeah, right. Well, remember, I was speaking to you about this last night. We had a, a very good friend of mine called Robbie Stewart, who became our promotional manager. Mm-hmm. Because my father, although he was the manager, was too busy with his own businesses. He was just mainly supplying the cash for the band to, cut, you know, to, to go on with all the gear and the double-decker bus that, you know, and that we had. And uh, so Robbie, who was a friend of mine from school, was doing all the promotion. And he'd found out that uh, Roadrunner was signing heavy metal bands from the UK, you know, So because through his research, you know. So he contacted Case Vessels, or Cease Vessels, whichever way he wanted to pronounce it. Yeah, and Case was very interested. Yeah, which Case was very interested. And uh, we, we, managed to, we managed to make an appointment with him to go and see him in Amstelveen, just on the outskirts of uh, Amsterdam in Holland, in Holland. And my father and him um, went over to have a meeting with them to, to, to work on a contract for the band signing, you know. Now, we they initially agreed on a four-album deal while he was there, but he hadn't even seen the band yet. Mm. So my dad invited Case to come over and watch the band at Leeds Poly, which was our very first gig, Leeds Poly, right? Uh, and uh, there was five people turned up. 
we, we, we were late because the, the van broke down on the motorway, so we had to hire another van. We got there an hour late, uh, the van broke down, there was only five people turned up at the concert, and Case was there, but he said, I like what I've seen, I like what I've seen, and I'll still sign you, so we'll go, fool, you know. <laughs> but in the, and how the fuck we got signed, I don't know, because the gig, the gig wasn't that very good. And uh, we had, <laughs> anyway, we went, you know, there was only five people there to vouch for it, so I can't even tell, really. Anyway, we still got signed to Roadrunner, for a four-album deal, which amounted to about £32,000 in the contract, which was amazing for wow. just coming from nowhere. Yeah. So what had happened is um, we, we also invited Case to come up to the studios, I was telling you, to Guardian Studios, to watch us uh, do some recording for Burn This Town, you see. Uh, to finish off Burn This Town, which we, was which was first released as sorry, which was which was recorded first as a single, and that's the single that Case Vessels heard for him to come over right. to the UK to watch his playing stuff. So he heard the single, he liked what he heard. Then he came over, watched his play at Leeds Poly, which was a disaster. Still signed us, and then we introduced him to uh, Terry Gavigan, who made friends with him, and obviously they contacted each other. And that's how they've been. Supply bands from Case Vessels to sorry from uh, Jerry to to Roadrunner. You see that right. what was on the books, you know. So so the so Terry connection was kind of a, a coincidence because you were just using Guardian as a studio and just by chance Terry. I, I assume Terry is just like a pretty entrepreneurial person, so he made a connection with Case and thought, okay, we can make because it seems that. I don't know. I don't know what Terry's game plan was. It seemed like he was just like incubating bands in the northeast and saying, "Case, defancy a bit, defancy a bit, defancy a bit." And but, Terry, but, well, wouldn't, wouldn't anybody? Yeah, yeah, anybody would do that. Once, once, uh, once, uh, uh, Terry Gavigan had met Case at the studio, which we brought him up to to what to, to sort us out. The next step would be to well, if there's any other bands that you want, you know, send 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 us the demos. You see, simple as that. And so anything that, yeah, any, any, any bands that were signed from Terry Gavigan after us was purely because we brought Case over, you know, I mean, we even, we even put him up in a hotel, you know, to, 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 to this is how we, this is the things you've got to do. Mm. And um, so, so we made friends with Case, Case made friends with Terry and from there, any other bands were, were you know, we're, we're getting set stuff from, from Terry to see if they could get the band a deal, you know, and that's how it worked, you know. But why wouldn't, I wonder why, because Terry obviously had Guardian as a label, why didn't he just use Roadrunner as a, instead of a label, as, as a distributor, keep him signed to Guardian, do the work over in the UK, but say, Case, you can license this record out and then that's distribution in Europe sorted. I wonder why he just sort of took on the role of connecting. I know the reason why, because Terry was into the studio. He wasn't in, he wasn't not like, he was not like a Dave Woods. Right. See, Dave Woods, Dave Woods from Neat Records had his record label already up and running and hence Venom, you know, he he was already running with Venom. And of course, he had his studio organised with a, with a good engineer, Dave Nicholl and that. And all the bands that came in, if he liked them, he would sign them, you know. And hence, if, if a band went into Neat Records and he liked them, he would say, look, I can offer you a deal for this album. Uh, Terry didn't go down that line. He just had his studio. He had his label, the Guardian Studio label, but not a record company, you see. And uh, I think it was his, his own decision that he decided not to go down that road. Otherwise, we might have been signed to Guardian Records, you know, rather than Roadrunner Records, you know, licensed 
license from Guardian to Roadrunner. But when we recorded Burn This Town, we were never offered a deal or any help towards financial stuff, towards getting a deal with other companies. You know, it was just a straightforward, there's your recordings and uh, see what you can do with them. You know, that, that, that's what it was with Terry, you know, mm. bless his soul. You know, so that's, that's the basics of what happened. And then when we went from Guardian, we actually met, went up to Neat Records and done a couple of demos, which is, which is on the actual uh, Nightmare Zone demos. You know, there's a couple yeah. of tracks that we recorded in Neat. And we were thinking about talking to Dave Woods, but at the time that, that studio was starting to come down, go down the hill a bit, you know, at that, that particular time, 1985, 86. I've not got to the end yet. There so. wasn't a great deal happening. Yeah. And so, and so we got a signing with Roadrunner. So we, we did just at the same time, you know, so Nate went straight out the window, you know, I mean, we were road, with Roadrunner and Music for Nations, which at the time was the biggest heavy metal label around. Is, is Terry still with us then? What's over, happened to Terry? The funny thing is, I don't know not any news about Terry. Um, I know that he sold his small studio that we recorded Burn This Town in. He sold that or rented it out something, and he bought the big mansion just around the corner and took the studio there. As after that, I don't know anything about them right. whatsoever, you know. It, it doesn't look like he does a lot of engineering so take any post, like, 1987, 88, no. right? So, but he does appear in credits on compilations that were released, like, more recently. So someone must be ringing him up somewhere and saying, hey, Terry, we're going to put this compilation out for, for say, say, Battle Axe or Spartan, whatever. Um, can we have your name on it? So he must be somewhere. Yeah. Well, he, well, he, he obviously hasn't passed away yet because I would have heard about that, you know, for definite. But he, he, he must be still like in the background. But remember, uh, re, uh, remember that, that he, he did release one album on his own Guardian label, which was a which was a uh, an, uh, a compilation album called Rock Scalibur. Have you heard right. about that? No, that sounds cool. Terry, Terry, yeah, Terrigan released his own album of the bands. It, it was really, I, I remember Terry explaining to us that he wanted to put together a collection of bands from his studio uh, and put it on an album and release. And that was hence, that was called Rock Scalibur. And that was the very, the very first album that Batlax was on, a compilation album, one single. On the, back, on the back of the single, the B-side, we had Batlax. And he put them two tracks on his Rock Scalibur uh, LP. Uh, and right. that was a promotion, promotion, promotional LP for Guardian Music. I can see it now. And that's it, where all the bands got together. You see. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give, this is the thing, because there's a number of other bands who appear on later compilations, not Rock Scalibur, but um, uh, Steel and Chains. So on Steel and Chains, I'll work my way backwards. Yeah. Steel and Chains, you see... Uh, oh no, sorry, no Spartan Warriors stealing chains. Apologies, that it, it was something else. Where is it? Sorry, Pure Overkill is the one above it. Um, Tokyo Rose, who became Dark Heart, Spartan mm. Warrior, uh, Millennium, and Risk. Those are the four bands. And then on, on Rock Scalibur is Black Rose, yeah. Brands Hatch, Batlax, Satan, uh, Marauder, Unter Den Linden, uh, Schizophrenic. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. But this must be how he's this must be how he's sending stuff over to Case, right? Because half of these bands are ending up signed to Roadrunner. That's right. 
that, that, well, there you are. There's, there's the connection. You know, that's that, that's the connection. That's that's exactly what I'm on about. So it's it's just a case of what you can get out of the system if it's there. Terry uh, uh, Gavigan had actually said, "Let's do this compilation," and you never know what comes from it. And so all the other bands had to chip two hundred pounds each. Right. And and, and uh, Terry said, you, we, we, "When we sell the album, royalties from this, you know, because it should sell." So the two hundred pounds, and thirty years later, we haven't had, <laughs> we haven't had one penny. <laughs> I was going to say I was going to say that between Neat not not to make comparisons but between Neat and Guardian I prefer the Guardian logo I, I mean I don't really like the Neat thing there I prefer Guardian which is like yeah. that Norse sort of um, that Norse aesthetic but the, the Norse yeah yeah yeah, it goes well with Battleaxe, that. <laughs> yeah, definitely definitely so that that's the connection with, with Case right, okay I wish I wish we knew where Terry was, man. I bet he'd have a bunch of stories yeah. and he could he could tell us that connection. I'm satisfied with that with that as like an explanation because he wasn't if you if he's not a label guy, he's not a business guy. He was just like I've got a business mate who can do something with this. And Terry's the producer of these first records as well. So I mean, if Roadrunner does well on these records, if yeah. he did well on Burn This Town, then of course then he would have got a slice of the pie as the producer, right? I imagine. So it makes sense to me. That's that's as far as he went. Uh, apart from doing their own couple of couple of album releases to promote the studio, uh, unless there's another story out there that I don't know of, but I, he, he was never into the record uh, production, you know, like becoming a record company. Mm. It was a label, you know, not a record company, so to speak, you know. It's a Guardian label incorporating Guardian Studios, yeah. I guess that's why he found the label in the first place, though, isn't it? So like, he's not a record company in the sense that he's not in the business of making and selling records. He's forming a label so he can get, wrap his arms around you and say, right, just come under my wing for 10 minutes while I see if any of my, if any of my mates fancy signing you. And then hopefully something will come of yeah. that. You know, and that's, the, that's probably yeah. his, his function as a label. Um, so what did you make of Case himself? It, it seems like you met him a couple of times. Absolute gentleman, Case was a gentleman, you know, a businessman with a suit and tie on. He's not the kind of <clears throat> heavy metal guy that you would expect to come over with, like uh, loose jeans, like, for instance, like Ollie Hahn from, uh, from SPV. He's a T-shirt guy, you know, with a label across his front. You know, he looks like a heavy metal guy himself. Case came across with a suit and tie on like a businessman, you know. I'll never forget him. Yeah, we, he, he has, there's, Roadrunner has a thing, especially in those early days, of fucking up the covers, um, either doing something about that band telling him or um, just kind of like just going the other way. There are other examples of it, and I'm happy to share you them with you offline in my research. There's loads of people who have just gone, yeah, this was not meant to be the cover. <laughs> so tell us the story end to end. <laughs> Well, well, band's first first album, you know, all ready to go with a record label, you know. I, can, I remember Case ringing us up. It was if it was like last week. He said, "Dave, uh, I was to, to me, Dad actually, Derek, that was the manager. Derek, uh, can you ask the lads what ideas do they want for the cover of the album? You know, so give us a few days. We'll think about it. So we got in touch with a couple of local artists who come up with some ideas, you know." We ex- ex- something to do with motorbikes, something to do with Sunderland, 
Sunderland City now, you know, burning down in the background because it was a shithole. You know? So it was Sunderland to be burning down in the background and somebody on a motorbike. So this guy who we knew called Arthur Ball, not, not Arthur Ball, <laughs> Arthur Ball. And uh, we, we made friends with him through a good friend of ours, June, his sister. And he decided to put together a bit of a, what they call a, a, a proof of an artwork idea. And he, he was an artist at a school, a local school in Sunderland. And he came, sorry, yeah, concept, yeah, to see so that that concept could be, ta- could be taken or the proof, the concept could be taken to an artist to do it properly, you know. So here he is, he's done this motorbike, uh, this, uh, so yeah, where are we? I'll flash it on the screen if needs be. <laughs> and uh, we said, we said, hey, that looks good, you know, if an artist gets hold of this, a proper, a proper graphic artist and does it properly, it'll be great. So we send it to Case Vessels, for, a, for his opinion, and two weeks later, it came out around the world. <laughs> <laughs> you alluded to it earlier. My but what was the feedback on that particular cover? Yeah. It was fucking hammered into the ground. You know, you're laughing now. That's exactly what the cover got laughed at. What the fuck is- in fact, there was a <laughs> there was a quote. You made me you made me memory come back there, Jim. There was a quote from it was either from uh, let me think now. Uh, some of this, uh, st- sorry, some of the journalists, Malcolm Dome, Malcolm Dome, or uh, let me think now. It could it, it could have even been that the, the the guy from Rang, you know, bad get bad. What's his name again? Anyway. Um, the quote that I remember was, after laughing hysterically at the cover, I decided to listen to the album. (laughs) (laughs) From that moment, the Burnish Town cover has never, ever been stopped being talked about around the world. Now, is that clever marketing or not? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um... Oh, you're fixed in the end. Did you, it, did you get it fixed with Steam Hammer or was it just a few years after? I can't remember when it was. That album, Burn This Town, has had four covers. Four covers. In France, right, the album covers, they wouldn't release it in France. It was so bad. <laughs> Martin Hooker rang us and said, yeah, Martin Hooker nations and said, lads, the album cover is so bad that the French companies won't release it. It's got to be changed. So they've got a French artist and done a complete different cover. That's number two cover. <laughs> I released it on a different cover. And SPV have released it on another different cover. So there you are. It's had four covers Fuck and yeah, gone man. out around the world with the same music. <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> it's still talked about. Hey, maybe that's the thing, isn't it? Maybe it's good marketing. Maybe that's what it was going for. But I'll I'll share with you afterwards. Um, yeah. On the different ones, um, there's so many one. There's so many different covers that get fucked up. It's hilarious. Um, let's talk about yeah. the deal yeah. with with Roadrunner then. So when you signed to Roadrunner, there's a number of different 
um, sort of clauses that they're known for. So normally mm-hmm. it's between six and seven albums. You said it was five, so we're not too far from from it there. Yeah. Uh, usually yeah. it's a five grand advance. You got more. Did you get, what was it for Burn This Town? Uh, we got 3,000 pounds, sorry, 1,500 for Burn This Town and 3,000 pounds for four power from the universe. Mm. But my father, who was the manager and, and businessman, managed to get 15 out of them for their album only because we managed to get Tony Wilson from Radio One and Tommy Vance to produce the next album, you see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on top of that, a lot, a lot of that was costumes, you see. The, the studio that we used was 4, 000, sorry, 5,000 quid. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tony Wilson wanted 3,500. Mm-hmm. And Tony Wilson was married to a lass called Maggie Farron, right, who was, a, mm-hmm. who was a band promoter who promoted Spider. Right, all right. And busy, it, was, busy. It, was Maggie, it was Maggie that got us on tour with, uh, on the festival with uh, Twisted Sister Saxon and Twisted Sister and Spider at the Leeds Queens Hall Festival. So Maggie was, Maggie was married to Tony Wilson, who, as you, as you know, like goes that. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and, and, and it was Tony Wilson who, who helped us get onto Radio 1, obviously, and producers and stuff, uh, mm. and produced the second, the second album. And, and we become very good friends, you know. So it's all like what you, it's like what you, it's, it's who you know, it's what you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, again, so with it, that it, deal, it's interesting on. the advance goes up and the advance goes left and right. It, it tends to be like, it tends to be five grand like flat unless someone can put up a fight and it looks like your dad had like the managerial sort of prowess to be able to say to Case, come on, mate, let's, yeah. let's take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, funny thing is, we never got much royalties from any of them, but 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 we didn't owe Roadrunner Records any money after two years of Power from the Universe coming out. So it's paid off the royalties. We we, we even now we don't owe, owe any record company any money. We've got Lax's albums pay off all of the you know the pay off all of the advances within a matter of a year or so. You know, so we're not doing too bad. You know, uh, we might not have any money in our own pockets, but we're paying off our advances. And the albums, as I say, as I said previously, the albums have gone all over the world. And you're in the black then, aren't really you? Hope for, you know? If the, yeah. if the record company We're made the a the penny from, from their efforts, then it means they've made money. So, you know. Yeah, that's right. That's good. Uh, good way of thinking that, yeah. And then, uh, obviously, all the publishing and IP retained by Roadrunner, which obviously is, which is normal for them. And obviously, that happened after 10 years. Uh, did they give you any tour support? No. Now that's one thing that I'd like to, if any other local, any any smaller bands are listening to this, you know, that, that, that there's, when they get a licensing deal, there's never any tour support or help from the record company, you know. If they're prepared to try and ask for that before they sign a contract, that would be great. But normally, normally the record companies that sign bands, um, they don't really want to help you with tour support or anything like that. They just want to give you enough money so they can put your album out and they'll see how it goes from there. Are you with us? If yeah. the album took off, obviously they would probably give you a tour support, but they don't want to commit themselves early to a massive tour support, which is really expensive before the albums come out, you know, so they tread it very carefully where it goes. And then if they think there's a tour available, they'll help you, you know. But other than that, a licensing deal is only to re- release your album and to put it out. That's really all, all. That's really all we've done, you know, over the years. Mm. 
yeah, so it's, yeah. It's, been a, it's, a, it's been an uphill, uphill task, you know. It hasn't been easy. No, no. So after Bernstein comes out and the fuck up with the cover happens, what's the... Like when even making comparison, what was your working relationship with Case and the label before and after Burn This Town? Was it always somewhat amicable? Were they always fairly helpful? Right after we'd asked them for the fifteen grand to produce Power from the Universe, there wasn't a great deal happening because at that particular time, as I was telling you, grunge and the you know the uh, uh, what was the other the other genre of music was coming across from America. Yeah, and we we. Um, we weren't getting anywhere. There was no gigs coming in, no tours or anything. And it was from that 94 onwards to 96, there was nothing happening. That's when, you know, when we had to finish, you know. Uh, it, it, heavy metal bands weren't doing a thing in Great Britain. And apart from, um, apart from Metallica coming over and asking us to do this tour with them in Europe, right, with our equipment and our buzz, so in 1995, when Ian McCormack left the band, we had no drummer. So we, we invited Paul Atkinson, uh, the next drummer of the band, to come in. And from there on till 1999, we didn't do a thing. Mm. And we, we broke up. And it wasn't until 2010 that we got back together again, you know, with a story I've already explained to you. So that mm. was it. So literally when Power of the Universe came out, Roadrunner, for all intents and purposes, kind of slowed down their activity. It was for us. I don't know what they've done for other bands. But I remember as well, uh, Martin Hooker decided, you know, he, he, Martin Hooker was a great guy because he's, he's the guy that really started off Man of War, you know. Yeah. Um, I've met, I've met the, the, the guys in Man of War at the Hammersmith Audium when Motorhead were playing there. And uh, uh, well, well in with Martin Hooker. And uh, the guy done a load of things for British heavy metal, but then he sold out to a company and Music for Nations went off the scene. Oh, well, while Martin Hooker did. I think Music for Nations is still going, but he sold out. And sort of um, that sort of cease vessels or case vessels, Martin Hooker, that sort of um, attitude and, and, uh, and positive, positive towards heavy metal uh, and the new wave of British is now a die, you see. And I don't know where it's gone from there. Mm. So that era was a great era from 80, 81, 82, 84, 85 was a great time for British heavy metal rock yeah. bands and metal bands, you know. And luckily we were in there. You yeah. Know. yeah. I remember Jeff, a, a comment. I remember a comment from Jeff Barton, um, for some reason hits our guts. And he said to us that uh, Battleaxe hoodwinked their way into the new wave of British heavy metal. A new wave of British heavy metal is an era, for, not a genre. And we were in there, whether we were hoodwinked our way in or not, you know. And at the end of the day, 40 years later, I don't hear much of Jeff Barton, you know, but I do hear a lot of backlacks all over the place, you know. So, uh, I, you know, we, we had this thing with Kerrang. Uh, they were very reluctant to put any Northeast bands in the main features, you know, whereas Iron Maiden and Thunder... Uh, any any band from down south was always featured in Kerrang and the rock magazines, whereas the northeast bands had his get got one feature whatsoever. It was very sort of uh, self delusional from down southeast. Got got no respect at all. That's really interesting, as in to the point where it never actually occurred to me to think of it that that way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's 
mm, that's it really that's a rabbit hole isn't it that's a rabbit hole that's yeah. that's raring to get explored yeah our bass player made a statement about that to publicly that the, 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 the southern newspapers like Kerrang and uh, Met, uh, what was the other one uh, rock the hard rock you know all the rock magazines down London were always interested in the bands down south and sometimes the Midlands, you know, but nothing to do with the Northeast whatsoever, where a lot of bands had come from. Yeah. And we got a comment back off Jeff Barton, which said, we've done a lot of features on Northeast bands, particularly the ones in Manchester. <laughs> Did you have a relationship with um, Hard Shock magazine? No. No, they've done a couple. I think they've done a they've, they've done a couple of really good features on the band, though. But we didn't have any relationships with them, you know. Yeah, um, Metal Mike. They might have a... just done a feature, which it's that's, that's the guy's Metal name. Metal Mike, yeah. Metal yeah. Mike. Yeah. He, 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 I did a few interviews with him, and he, everything was just like. Uh, so we were talking about uh, the Roadrunner and. Uh, there's a story there, and he'll just fuck off for like a minute. He'll come back with like a tour T-shirt from 1983. And it's just. <laughs> It's brilliant. He's, he's such a lovely guy, but no, that's 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 fascinating. That um, Jimmy, you know, you're talking about that guy who just fucked off and brought a t-shirt. Now Terry Gavigan, Terry Gavigan, right? While we were in the studio recording an album, I think I think back then it was about twelve pound an hour, which was a lot of money, right? Twelve pound. Yeah. There's a ghost on the piano. You'll have to stand outside for half an hour while the ghost disappears. So we had the whole band sitting on the wall outside while the ghost sitting on the piano decided to leave the studio. And that's God's honest truth, that. Yeah. Right, okay. So, right. You you broke up a little bit at the very start of that, yeah? But I think I got everything. So from what I gather, Guardian Studios had a ghost. And Terry just said out of the blue, oh, the ghost is here. You're going to have to fuck off for half an hour. Go out and have a fag or something. (laughs) It's sitting on the piano. How does he know? He's, he's the only one that saw it. But yeah. we we think he had to go and have a shag with his last upstairs. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. That's a myth. Tell me the story through and through of when you met Metallica. Well, Jimmy, as you know, we had power from the universe out, you know, and it was doing pretty well. The... We had no warnings of this, you see, no warnings whatsoever. We were practicing and rehearsing in our own studio. We had, we, we were very lucky. We had our own rehearsal room. We had our own setup. We just had to walk into the room and practice and play, you know, and rehearse the songs. And my dad came in and said, Dave, there's somebody here that Martin Hooker sent up. You need to come and have a talk to them. So I came out the room totally unaware what was happening. And my dad said to me, these guys are from Metallica and Martin Hooker sent them up and they want to ask you some questions about touring. So there is the guitarist and somebody else who's probably their road manager or something in Sunderland. This is a God's honest oath. And they were stood there. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what they'd become. But they asked us if, the, if we could go on tour with them in Europe and we headline one night and they headline the next, but we need to use our PA system, which was massive, and our double-decker bus tour bus. And that was to try and 
users with, with them, you know, which was a great idea. But unfortunately, we didn't like their first album, Kill It All, Kill Them All. We thought it was crap. <laughs> but Brian, our bass player, who was the founder member, had said, oh, fuck that, man. We're not playing with them, man. You know, it's, it's, it's not, they're not our kind of music, man. They're not the same. They don't think the same as us. And we, I went back in the office and said to them, I'm sorry, guys, we're not interested. And for fuck's sake, how ignorant could I be? I never even offered a cup of tea or a fucking sandwich and out. And they went back to London. And, the, and when I really, if I'd known they'd come all the way from London and from America, I would have been more hosting, you know. Oh, I was, I'm really upset at myself about that. Uh, and the only thing I can think of is that able to think straight at the time that, that you know, that this band could have been <laughs> see, you never know who you talk to that's the, that's the message there's something to that story which is quintessentially northern too <laughs> right too <laughs> oh, right it's great it's great. Um, and did did Roderick ever get involved in the production of any of the albums? Because one thing I'm, I'm, I'm I noticed was like the production is so different between Burn This Town and Power of the Universe. Um, did Roderick ever? Were they the guys that said, "Hey, go up to Scotland to record Power of the Universe"? Or I know, you know, obviously you you're the guy that that, that, that sought out uh, Tony Wilson. But was any of this Roderick's influence, or were they just like, just do what you want? Yeah, no influence whatsoever. They would put, they put they put burn this town out as 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 really it was a demo. Burn this town, even recorded in Guardian Studios, was a demo. The studio wasn't up to producing the way that Tony Wilson did, you know. And with us, and at the time, uh, you, you might not you might not know this, but uh, at the time we were doing analog. You see, everything was analog you know, the 26-inch study, you know, and stuff. That was all Anna. But there was also uh, solid-state logic desks which had come out, you know, which the BBC had invested into. And Tony recorded recorded us on a solid-state logic desk. Oh, it's gone, it's gone again, unstable. Yeah, I've, I've so the, re- the recording on Power from the Unit, the, 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 yes, and the, the quality of the recording is much more... In fact, it's 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 good. It's as good as stuff that comes out today. You know, power from yeah. the universe. Excellent quality recording. Drum sound, guitar sound. You could listen to Chopper Attack and sort the power from the universe today, and it sounds like it's dead modern. You know, yeah. it's, it's not. It doesn't sound thirty year old, and that's what that's what we wanted. But Roadrunner had nothing to do with that whatsoever. Yeah. They couldn't give a damn about what, if, you, you know, you could have sent them any demos over and they'd have pressed it, you know, as long as they could get their albums out around the world, that's what they would do. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's really, I was speaking to Brian Slagle from Metal Blade the night and um, trying to trying to figure out the differences because obviously Brian Slagle is a metal fan and he knows it through and through and that's what forms his decision-making as a businessman. Yeah. Um, but Case is an opera guy. He'd done like, He'd been working yeah. in the record industry for like 25 years by the time Roadrunner was started, but yeah. he was not a metal guy. So it was more product driven than it was like genre driven. So I just find it like, yeah. I find it interesting that That's they would right. just go, fuck it, just send out. I've got like a, 
a counter theory, which um, was sort of like I was I was brought back from the edge by Brian. He sort of made sense of it. But my theory was you have Merciful Fate, you got Satan, you've got Battle Axe with the cover, you've got Spartan Warrior, you got you got my theory was Case was after like Satan well bands that could be regarded as satanic for the content of like their lyrics and their sort of intentions um, as a marketing ploy, because he knew the satanic panic was, was going off in the States, you know, with all like people burning records and stuff like that. Um, did you get that vibe in any way? Because there's not a lot of like evidence from case saying, or there's not a lot of evidence where, um, there's a direct instruction from Roadrunner to say, make satanic music, except for one instance. So my theory is hanging by a thread. No, no, I think you're right. They were more interested in the turnover than the actual music and quality of what, as long as they got the bands out and yeah. turned everything over. I don't know what the thesis or the, the mythology was of it all. I think they were bothered about much about quality, you know, as mm. amount that's what I think. And hence the quality. I mean, most of the bands came out of Guardian Studios all sound the same. You know, if you listen to the drum sound and you yeah, listen yeah. to the guitar work, it's all done similar. It's mm. all this. And funny thing is, even today, look at Mutt Lange, for instance. He produced Def Leppard, which became a platinum, as you know, album around the world. And yet when he do, when, and when he done uh, Brian's, Brian Adams sounded like Def Leppard. It, you know, if you listen to the if you listen to the recordings, so each producer has his own sound and his own methods, and that's what happened with Terry. There was no quality in that sound recording whatsoever. It was just a case of it. But when we when we switched that to a better producer and to a more more uh, a, a more uh, sort of expansive studio expansive studio. Then we got a better sound quality, you know, the sound mm. that we were after. And yeah, the drum yeah. sound from Power From The Universe is the sound that we've got on uh, on Heavy Metal Sanctuary, you yeah. know. And, and uh, the next drum sound is even going to be bigger. And that's that means a lot to us because we, we believe in a big, massive, heavy sound, you know. ACDC meets Judas Priest come mm. motorhead. That's the way we go down the line because they were our idols when we were young, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, gonna super, it's gonna be super interesting i can't i kind of can't wait because i love like especially these days where like the streaming stuff's come in so there's barely any money in the actual music itself so there's the yeah. vinyl side of it is like the, the that's the tangible the bit that makes money but it's also the one that has the most quality like sound aesthetically but um no i can't wait to see what happens over the next few years and i'm yeah. like i'm i'm dead fucking serious we should do like the guardian four do the Guardian 4 at Leeds Uni. We'll fucking do it. How did the... Well, I kind of know this. the answer to this because you alluded to it earlier, but how did the relationship with Roadrunner end? You said it kind of peered out and then the end of the contract arrived and they didn't pick up the option, which is fine. That's kind of it, right? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it faded out. We never done anything and it just faded out and the contract ended. Hence, and, and so did we really. We, we, we like sort of went into stasis, you know, and mm. just, just, just went into hibernation for, for 15 years. And then really the lads were just sitting on their asses and then we all come back, you know, which was great. You know, we're here now, we're finishing off our legacy, which hopefully we can get another two albums, like three albums out of this, you know, before. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that uh, once this Resonator album is released, 
which is a concept album which took us a long time it's completely different to anything we've done uh, I'm hoping that the next album will be a, just a normal album between Burn This Town and Power From The Universe and then on top of that we'll have a live album and then on top of that we'll have the best of Batlax and that th I think that would do me before I pop Dude, are you going to do, um, you should do Bloodstock, do Wacken. Those are like pretty good, sort of big new wave of British heavy metal crowds. Well, 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 Jim, fortunately, we've got a great manager in Rick Wright, Rick Stats, and uh, we haven't had a manager since my father passed away and since in the 80s, and it's a sorry, in the early 90s, sorry, and it's a clear case of that, um, it's a clear case that this manager. Uh, once he gets the new album in his ammunition booth, you know, he'll be promoting that album and we will be getting out as much as we can, you know, uh, to, to gig. Even at our age, we'll be out there now because we, 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 we're a live act, you see. Batlax is a live band, mm -hmm. not so much, a, you know, a studio band. We, we, we're a live band, you know, and, if, and I'm hoping and praying that you'll come along as our special guest to one gig down in Leeds somewhere, which we, we, we'll be playing... And you'll see what I'm on about, you know. And you can pat me on the shoulder and say, Dave, you're fucking right. It was great. Or, or I'll never see you again. <laughs> last uh, last question. Um, and again, you alluded to one instance of this, but have you, I ask everyone this. It's just a weird sort of way that breaks up the conversation. But have you ever seen a ghost? Uh, well, I was supposed to I was supposed to see a ghost, Gavigan's piano, you know, because he said, can't you fucking see it? And I said, no, we can't see the ghost. But he said, you'll have to go outside till it disappears. So apart from that, I've never seen a ghost. But I've got to tell you before, I, an unbelievable coincidence. Yeah. After we played with right, on their they were on their Crusader tour, uh, doing their album Crusader. We were on tour, as, uh, on their national tour with yeah, them. As, with Saxon, yeah? Yeah, with Saxon. Yeah. Now... After the tour finished, uh, at the, this was at the De Montford Hall in Leicester, I think it was. Uh, we had uh, Tony Wilson from Radio 1 and Tommy Vance there with us to watch us play. And he brought along the A&R man that had signed ACDC, mm -hmm. right, to watch us play. And uh, the A&R man thought, he thought, well, after, after a full tour, Batlax was shit hot, you know, we were playing fantastically. And he thought we went down a storm and he loved us. And he said to us that he was going to bring along the uh, another a &R guy who signed ACDC. That's right. He wasn't the man that signed ACDC, but he's from Atlantic Records. And he was going to bring along the guy that signed ACDC to watch us play at uh, 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 what they call a, uh, a showcase gig for them. Mm. After the gig... We were going to arrange this showcase gig, but our guitarist, Steve Hardy, had said, I'm finishing the band. I'm finishing, right? And he left the band. Did you see my album? <laughs> yeah. People think it's fucking Graham Norton on here. You know, are you sure I haven't seen a ghost? It's finally happened. Oh, sick. They just fell off the wall. <laughs> Crack on. That's it. We're, this is a haunted podcast. And, oh, anyway, so, so the guitarist left, Jim. Steve Hardy left the band and left us right in the lurch, right in the front of a showcase gig with Atlantic Records, who wanted, we were told, 
99% would be signed to Atlantic, but we had to put the showcase gig on nevertheless. And we couldn't do it, so we lost that opportunity. Mm-hmm. A couple of years went past, right? A year went past, and we were looking for guitarists. And I and oh, and Steve Hardy, right? This is what before Power from the Universe came out, which was after the tour. Yeah. Steve Hardy refused to put his photograph on the front of the album. He refused. And, for the front of the guy here, this guy here, right? Yeah. So it's the wrong way around. If you just bear with us, yeah, this guy here. Yep, that's that's Steve, is it? We got him. We paid him. No. Oh no! All right, that's, that's, that's not a Steve. That's Steve Hardy, number one. Yeah. So we asked a guy to come down to to Gary's photograph taker. I asked him. I said, "Guy, I said, are you doing anything at the moment? I said, you look like a heavy rock." Player with the, with the, with your guitar case. He said, "Yeah, I play the guitar. I just I just I'm just a heavy metal. I'm not in a band. I just play the guitar." I said, "Look, if I give you fifty quid, will you come down to London with us tomorrow for an album cover?" And he said, "Yeah, oh, fantastic." I said, "I said." He said, "Who's the band?" I said, "We call Battleax." He said, "Hey, funny thing about it is, I've met your guitarist." Steve Hardy. I said, yes, yeah, so that's it, Steve Hardy. He's not with us anymore. He said, funny thing, isn't he? Steve Hardy as well. What the fuck? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So this guy here, this guy here is Steve Hardy number two. <laughs> so when Martin Hooker's, when Martin Hooker said, where's, my dad had said, sorry, my dad had said, Steve Hardy's left the band. We can't take the photograph, but we've got another guy to take his place. And Martin Hooker said, but what's his name? My dad said, fucking not going to believe this. It's Steve Hardy as well. <laughs> so Martin Hooker said, well, fucking who's to know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Steve Hardy number one. Steve Hardy number one. He recorded the music. Steve Hardy number one. And this guy here... On the front of the, which, which Steve Hardy number one refused to do, is Steve Hardy number two. That's amazing. What's Steve Hardy number, what are the Steves doing these days? Are, are you in touch with them at all? Never seen, never seen Steve Hardy number one for 40 years, never, since it finished, 35 years. Steve Hardy number two has gone in, uh, what, what, to, to one of these uh, sort of, uh, uh, what they call them again, one of these camps where the where the brain <laughs> where the the camps where they what where the brainwasher you know the the Christian <laughs> brainwash society. <laughs> oh god, that's amazing. Good for hey, good for him. Yeah, whatever keeps him happy. Yeah, right. That that's it. I've got for yeah. that's all the questions I've got. Unless there's something else you want to um, add in. Oh. Not at all. I just wanted to know the band. Uh, we've been trying our utmost to get back on the road and uh, we've had every conceivable thing that's gone again, you know, operations, you, you know, climates, uh, the, the, the financial crisis, you name it, deaths, deaths in the band, you name it. And then on top of that, we've had this bloody COVID, which has stopped us getting out there. But 
as, as we're getting older now, guys, we, honestly, we, we, we love to play live. We love our fans that, that run with us, and we just can't wait to get out there. And if you're listening to this, and you're listening to this great show that Jim's done, please support us. If we come around local, we'll do our best. If you can't get in and you can't afford it, I'll pay you in, all right? See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Cracking. This was so much fun. There's so many good stories right, that have come out of this. <clears throat> Bearing in mind, Jim, just like to say, yeah, we've got some new album, a new album out called Heavy Metal Sanctuary. Well, it's not new, it's out in 2014. Give us some hits on YouTube. And thanks very much, Jim, for your great show. I hope you do well on this. Any hard feelings yeah. about Roadrunner? Hey, yeah, it's, like... it, and it's amazing. It, 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 oh, no, I love them. I, 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 everybody that's held back. Do you know Batlack started off as a demo band, right? Just, uh, I, I mean, I was a taxi driver, you know, taking my band around, and then the singer left, and I joined just as a joke. Next minute, we started Batlacks. Before you knew it, we had a record deal. And we, Batlacks have never, ever not had a deal with a big company, you know. We, had, we, we kicked off a lot. We had Roadrunner Records, Music for Nations. Fifteen years later, we were signed to SPV, sorry, in 2012, signed to SPV, you know, Nuclear, uh, sorry, and, and we were, we're also on Nuclear Blast as well. Um, uh, Napalm. Uh, Napalm Records, Sonny BMG. Napalm, yeah, you can't, what did I say? You said <laughs> Nuclear Blast, it's the other one. Yeah, you kind of go wrong. Uh, so, <laughs> no, 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 we're on Nuclear Blast as well, Jim. Are you? Jim, Nuclear Blast. Nuclear really? Blast are releasing our, uh, subsidiaries to this new album here. Come on, just do this for a joke. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this, guy was, this photograph was taken by a guy called... called um, Oh, God, what's his name? Uh, anyway, very famous photograph. Took the photographer took this photograph, and we were changing a light bulb in the studio. And I was just getting up to change the bulb. I asked the lads to give us a lift up. Can you change this light bulb, Dave? I said, give us a lift up, and they clicked the photograph. And that's the photograph on Power from the Universe. The chap's name. Um, Steve Costello. No, no, Finn Steve, Costello. no, Finn, 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 Finn Costello. Costello. Sorry, I was reading because uh, yeah. it's <laughs> hey, got you the right, hey, it's got you the wrong way around. It's got it's got you on guitar and Steve Hardy on vocals. Whereas, um, you're joking on Discogs and Discogs. I'll send I'll send the links while I'm, I'm seeing. Oh, you know, it's not you. <laughs> hey, hey, well, look, hey, Jim, we'll keep in touch, mate. Okay, it's been lovely to talk to you. Yeah, I've, t- I've taken up way too much of your time. This has been, this has been hilarious. Okay, then. Yeah, yeah.